0: In today's episode, we spend more time with the concept of disfellowshipping. In our churches, we love to use big words. We obfuscate our pedagogy through superfluous grandiloquence, manifesting hubris instead of demureness. See what I mean? Inconceivable. While I might have a speech impediment, I certainly do not want to have a preach impediment. These get in the way of God's message, reaching our hearts and minds. Let's dig through those big words and learn something incredible. Thank you for joining us again on Preach Impediments. This podcast is made possible by EdenHollow.com, And of course, we would love for you to go over there and check out the things happening with Eden Hollow. We're going to be talking more about the concept of disfellowshipping. If you did not get a chance to listen to the episode with Terry Francis just a couple of days ago, I would encourage you to do it. We really dug into some difficult concepts and probably a lot of misunderstandings that people have regarding this topic that that honestly is handled a lot of different ways by a lot of different churches. It is a hard topic to discuss because... It's emotional. All of us are aware of those who have experienced the practice of disfellowshipping. Or maybe we've been in that awkward situation where we're visiting a congregation and there is a disfellowshipping taking place where the elders have gotten up and they are announcing or reading a letter that has been sent to somebody who has been disfellowshipped from. Even if you've not had those two experiences, if you ever do have the misfortune of being involved in a disfellowship, it's difficult to engage in. As a congregation, how has your relationship changed with the brother or sister who the elders have decided needs some hard love? It's hard to understand really what the difference is between it being done well and it being done poorly Unless you've seen it done well, unless you've seen disfellowshipping done properly, uh, it, it's just hard to really wrap your brain around the concept. And it is rare that it is even practiced, especially among those who are actually in fellowship. I would imagine if you're listening to this program, you probably are somebody who is highly interested in religious things, somebody who loves the Word of God and loves the loves God himself, loves to follow God, is in a good relationship with God. And those types of people like you are probably not going to ever be on the receiving end of a, of a disfellowshipping. And so it it's kind of a hard topic to talk about for a lot of different reasons. I will say, as we said the other day, we need to make sure that we are applying this practice in the areas where it actually matters. It is not merely a method of cleaning up the role or cleaning out the directory or making sure that only those who are truly good attenders are the ones who are recognized members. It's really not used for anything other than to bring about maturity and growth. Honestly, I think we've done a poor job over the years of defining successful Christianity. We define a successful Christian as somebody who shows up, somebody who is regularly in attendance, somebody who is able to to have a, a high percentage of being there on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings, if you still have those, or on Wednesday nights. Honestly, that comes from a practice of tracking numbers. I remember in nearly every church I went to growing up, there was that board on the front wall where it said this week's attendance and last week's attendance and this week's contribution and last week's contribution. And with an emphasis on growing as a congregation and you're watching those numbers, they're always in front of your face every time you're in attendance, You almost have this guilt about not showing up because we don't want to to badly affect the numbers as if that's really what being a Christian is all about. I've even been in some places where there is literally the role is taken. And I understand that if it is used for the purpose of following up with somebody or noticing a change in their attendance practice so that you can make sure that you're staying on top of where people are in their service to God. But honestly, shouldn't we know those things anyway? Shouldn't we know how somebody is faring spiritually based on conversation and based on relationship, not based on practices of attendance? And so I I would encourage us to kind of go back and rethink how we are defining successful Christianity in the first place. Successful Christianity is not an easily measured aspect of life. I would say that successful Christianity is defined in terms of fruits of the Spirit. Is this person loving? Are they joyful? Does this person seem to have peace? Are they faithful in the way that they live their lives? Are they gentle with others? Those fruits of the Spirit listed there in Galatians chapter 5 show maturity on a spiritual level. And maturity is really the standard by which we should be measuring ourselves, and it should be the goal that we have as God's people. That's what we're striving for. Not bigger numbers, but bigger relationships with God, growth on a personal level. The reason people don't like that though is how do you put that in a spreadsheet? How do you know whether somebody's really growing or not? They can claim to be growing and be weak. So we need to make sure that we have an objective standard and that of course is attendance. No, please, please walk away from that concept. The reality is we need to be the kind of Christians who are being honest with one another, who are growing in our relationships with one another, who are honest and open about our struggles, about the things that we are comfortable with, about the ways in which we are growing. We need to make sure that we're being uh, truthful with the goal of growth, of, of personal growth, not numerical growth, but personal growth. And disfellowshipping is a tool that God has given us in order to help somebody who has decided to stop growing. Uh, It's really only done in certain circumstances, and I think you'll see a pattern develop here as we look at a couple of verses together. For instance, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, mentions this idea of bringing somebody before the church if they are in sin. Uh, It says, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. There, the idea of of if somebody has, has offended or sinned against or done some wrong thing to their brother, well, then they need to be confronted about that because that shows a life that is not being lived like Christ. And anybody who's not living like Christ needs to be helped. We're told over in Romans chapter 16, starting in verse 17, now I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teachings that you learned. Avoid them, because such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but they serve their own appetite. They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. And so this idea of those who are causing division or even teaching false things, they should be disfellowshipped from. Later on, Titus chapter 1 verse 9 through 11, holding to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able both to encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. For there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception, especially those from the circumcision party. It is necessary to silence them. They are ruining entire households by teaching what they shouldn't in order to get money dishonestly. Uh, Again, Titus chapter 1 verse 13 and Titus 3, 10 through 11 are other passages that teach essentially the same thing. If somebody is creating division and engaging in false doctrine, well then they need to be disfellowshipped from. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 deals with a man who is in some abhorrent sins that the church has done nothing about and Paul encourages them to disfellowship from him. We're told in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 20, publicly rebuke those who sin so that the rest will be afraid. Again, this idea of those who are not just teaching falsehood, but engaging in falsehood, they should be handled and, and disfellowshipping is one of the tools that were given to do that. There's also this sense of those who refuse to take care of their own should be handled and those who do not abide in the teachings of Christ, according to 2 John verse 9-11. through Now, what I want you to notice about all of these infractions that require the response of disfellowshipping, that none of these are measurable sins. We can't say, well, they've sinned four times in a row, and now we're just going to have to disfellowship from them. It's not a, uh, a sense of they, they have met the quota of unrighteousness. There, there is no such thing. We are not given a checklist that we need to fulfill or uh, use in order to qualify people for disfellowshipping. It, it is not a measurable thing. It is something that we do in order to help anybody who is struggling with their relationship with God. We need to make sure that we use it for that purpose, not as an administrative tool in order to clear up confusion about who belongs in a directory or not. No, no disfellowshipping is a tool God gave us in order to help people understand the seriousness of their sins. And that's the second thing you'll notice here, is that all of these things that we just listed in these verses, they are all serious infractions. They are things that are contrary to the will of God, not contrary to the traditions of people. Now, I'm not saying Somebody who refuses to come and worship God with God's people isn't doing something wrong. That we should desire to be together. We should desire to worship God as a group of people. We are told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some over in Hebrews chapter 10. But that is a far cry from a man who is sleeping with his father's wife. And that is a far cry from somebody who is intentionally dividing God's people up with false doctrines. What you find in scripture is that it is somebody who has engaged himself in horrendous sin and refuses to turn away from that sin, refuses to restore a relationship with a brother or sister, someone who refuses to listen to what God's word says so that they can better teach God's word to others. These are unmeasurable, but highly dangerous sins. Those are the people that we should handle with disfellowshipping. And that probably is not the way it's being handled in most places. Each of these requires us to have some very serious conversations with somebody about what they're doing and why they're doing it and have a desire to understand where they're coming from. If somebody is false teaching, that requires us to have a conversation about what is right versus what is wrong. If somebody is engaging in some sin, that requires us to confront him about his sin so that he can make the necessary changes to be in a right relationship with God. Unfortunately, what we often see in churches today is that there's very little or too little conversation that is happening between those who are in positions of authority and those who are neglecting to do right. For instance, attending in a worship service. And what happens is, well, They've met the quota of absenteeism, and therefore we are going to send them a letter, no conversation at all, and that letter is going to confront them about what they've done wrong and cause them to come back. Why would a letter, an impersonal and distance-making letter, cause a brother or sister to want to come back and be with a group of people? Or maybe it's better to ask, what is more likely to succeed? a letter, or a brother or sister who loves you showing up on your front doorstep, willing to meet with you and talk with you and love you and help you grow in your relationship with God. They desire to understand you. Well, then you will desire to be open with them about why you're making the decisions you're making. And if they desire to see the best for your soul and the outcome of your faith, well, then you will desire to join with them in pursuing God in a relationship with him. The goal should be bringing people closer and into a greater relationship with God. And until we do that, until that's our goal, we will not do disfellowshipping right. But if that is our goal, we will probably see less disfellowshipping necessary the relationship will be there in order to really make people grow. I hope this has been helpful to you and your relationship with God and in your understanding of some difficult concepts that we find in scripture. Again, this podcast is sponsored by EdenHollow.com, and I encourage you to go over there and check them out. Check out some of the books they have coming out soon and some of the books they already have available. Also, we would love for you to share this podcast with your friends. The only way this podcast can truly reach people and help them is if people know about it and listen to it. Until next time.